Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Welcome to About Progress. I am your host, Monica Packer, and I am here to teach you how to take back your life and dare to progress towards bettering yourself, honing your gifts, and using them for good in the world. Listen in to be inspired by others who are walking the same path of self-improvement paired with self-love, and to be a part of a community that knows life is about progress, not perfection. Welcome to the show, friends. I'll warn you parents now with little listeners who might be around that you'll want some headphones for this episode. Nothing is explicit here, but we will be talking about things you might not be ready for your kids to hear. Our guest is a crowd favorite and a woman who personally changed my life, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson-Fife. She is an LDS sex and marriage therapist, and she's been on the show three other times. I have linked to all those episodes in the show notes for you. If you haven't already listened to her, she will blow your mind. I first heard about Jennifer a little over three years ago. I was pregnant with my third child and a friend shared about her workshop on Facebook and it was called The Art of Desire. 
for many reasons I signed up, but I admit that I was super intimidated to go. I was going by myself, nonetheless, and sheepish, too. I am one of those people who can barely say the word sex, nonetheless talk about it, especially in a public group setting and especially by myself. But I felt the draw to go and hear what this woman was all about. What I didn't expect was that this workshop had very little to do with sex. We explored all about women's identities, their connections to themselves, the desires of their hearts, and how owning their worth is far more important than just learning about the mechanics of intimacy. So what I did not also expect was just how this four hour long workshop would completely change the course of my life. And I don't say that lightly. I've since taken several of Jennifer's online courses and attended live workshops with her and chatted with her personally as well. And without Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, we would truly not have this podcast right now. Because of her, I was able to better cue in to what I was missing in my life, which turned out to be some ambition I had long buried. And it may have started with me just creating a goal to try 30 new recipes that year after that initial workshop I did with her. But doing that has had a trickle-down effect in my life, and one thing led to another, and the show is very much a part of that. I share more about the power of this trickle-down effect that we can all have in my workshops. But if I were you, I would run, not walk, to any workshop retreat that Jennifer will be holding, and she will be describing some of those on the show here today, so stay tuned. So with this introduction, Dr. Finlayson Fife, and she encourages me to call her Jennifer on the show, is here to talk about how body image is affecting your sex life. Because it's not really about your body. This view you have of your body and your relationship to it are actually reflections of how you are in relation with yourself. Uh, That's her thinking, not mine. So let's give her that credit. And of course, if you don't have a positive relationship with yourself, you can't fully be growing in your intimate relationships either, including with sex. So Jennifer is here to share her wisdom on this topic and teach us how to turn the tides of our relationship with ourselves and our bodies. Next week, just a little heads up, I am thrilled to have a continuing conversation on this topic with one of the founders of the nonprofit Beauty Redefined, and it's Dr. Lindsay Kite, who you might recognize from a viral TED Talk she did on building a resilient body image. So stay tuned for that next Wednesday. And for now, let's dive into another game-changing interview with Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife. Jennifer, one of the things that I have learned from you is that mindset is everything, including with sex. It's more about the brain and what's going on in your head than anything else. And as a way of laying the foundation for our discussion on body image here today, I was wondering if you could explain how this is the case a little more. Yeah, so meaning is everything for human beings. And in particular, it very much impacts the way we experience sex and intimacy and touch. And, you know, the fact that human beings have a prefrontal cortex in a way that other animals do not, it means that we almost can't help ourselves but create meanings and give meanings to our experiences. So, you know, that meaning-making capacity is what allows us to not just have sex, but to make love, you know, to make a positive meaning where, like an animal can only copulate. They can't, they can't make love. They can't think, you know, deep loving feelings towards 
you know, a dog can't feel that towards their sexual dog partner. Yeah. But for the same reason, you can't have sex, you know, dogs or any other animal very rarely have sexual dysfunction. And if they do, it's purely biological because they can't create meanings that interfere with their sexual experience. Where okay. So a dog's not worrying about, you know, does he think I have too much weight on my thighs? <laughs> yes. Is he really into me or is he just in it for the sex, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're not thinking those things. And because of it, they're not creating meanings that interfere with their experience or interfere with their sexual functioning. So, so meanings everything in, and it will really impact the way, you know, the meaning that you give to the touch. It could be the exact same touch. If you're feeling um, admiration for your spouse and you feel clear that they really are love you and are drawn to you, that very same touch is going to feel very pleasurable that in another moment, if you're feeling annoyed or you're feeling that they're, you know, uh, patronizing you or using you or something is going to feel very aversive. And the, the brain literally will, tr will interpret it differently. You'll have a different um, subjective experience of the same physical touch. So, uh, so yeah, the mindset you're in when you're being sexual or intimate, uh, or even the mindset you're in when you're just in your own skin and in your own body, uh, can really impact your experience of yourself and of others. Well, this is, this is kind of the good news and the bad news, right? I mean, this yes, yes. this can be both ways here. I think we're we're going to talk about more of the negative effect, I suppose, in terms of how we're viewing our bodies. So, how can our personal view of our bodies get in the way of being present, of having a positive mindset with intimacy? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that yeah, it's, it's, there's so many aspects of it, but I would mm -hmm. say, first of all, you know, feeling desirable is a, is a valuable part of sex. It's an important part of sex. So, you know, feeling like it would be a good judgment for someone to want to be with you sexually, or they find you attractive or, or, or a pleasure to be with. Right. So, um, so I think that there's wanting to feel desirable matters in sex and it's a valuable thing. I think, though, that for women, particularly, this is true because we teach men more about sexual desire, you know, mm -hmm. and we teach women more about being desirable. So mm -hmm. while I would say it's a valuable thing to feel desirable, we have really kind of heavy loaded women with this idea that being sexually desirable is very much linked to the legitimacy of of having sex or enjoying sex mm -hmm. and that that's sort of your sexual role like sexuality kind of belongs to men and you should be desirable for men sexually okay. the second problem in that is that we have it really overloaded it around the aesthetic of the body is what constitutes desirability not just who you are not the kind of person you are not your character so much and not what you sort of bring what kind of, you know, what kind of heart and what kind of um, mm. self you bring to that interaction. And so, you know, I think that if we are really thinking that we need to sort of prove that we are legitimate or sufficient or desirable for someone to be with us and that that's being measured through the way we look, um, you know, I think that can deeply interfere 
with your ability to just be present because it's not really about being with you. It's about presenting a visual superficial experience of a desirable body. And, you know, I think that because the messages that we get around women and sex are so much about the aesthetic of the body, um, that if you feel like your body doesn't match that, which let's face it, 99.99% mm-hmm. of us feel that way, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going to have a harder time feeling that it's legitimate for you to enjoy sex, to be at peace in your own body, to fully express yourself in that body and so on. Mm. And so it can really impact us that way and really handicaps so many of us. Well, and you know, it affects every type of body. I mean, someone can have that body that people covet and still have really poor body image. And by extension, it would affect their ability to enjoy sex. And what I've heard you say is, you know, we're we're misplacing desirable um, as something that equates having a good body. Um, and that doesn't mm-hmm. need, well, not only does it not need to be the case, it's kind of impossible, like you're saying, to make it the case mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. so much of us don't even fall into um, the mm-hmm. quote-unquote good body. So first, let's let's break this down a little bit more. So mm-hmm. how uh, poor body image, what is it really more about? It's not just about the body. What is it really reflecting? Yeah. Well, so, so again, just to kind of define some of it a little bit, I think, um, so body image in and of itself is basically how one sees their own body. Okay. And in particular, perhaps, you know, how acceptable or attractive you believe your body is. And a poor body image is basically somebody who's dissatisfied with their body or not at home in their own body, that they mm. feel some sense of shame around it. And so then the question is, why would somebody feel dissatisfied in their own body, unhappy in in their own body? And I think there's probably two sources, at least, of creating that dissatisfaction is that, you know, again, as I brought up uh, just a second ago, is that, you know, we, we live in a cultural reality that's highly image focused and then has an expectation of what people look like. And men have growing sense of these expectations as well. Mm-hmm. But, but that there is a standard that has been offered to women around what they should look like that is ridiculously challenging to meet. You know, it's basically 20-year-old bodies, perfect, you know, extremely slender, unrealistically slender. Um. And that's kind of what it is uh, that we are supposed to look like. And so basically, if you grow up, I don't want to say that this isn't also true for men or that it can't be true for men, but it's very true for women. You are given messages, you know, at a very early age that how you appear is going to deeply shape the way that people interact with you and how much value they ascribe to you and how desirable they find you and even how popular you'll be, how teachers will treat you. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's impossible to escape the message. So even if you feel good about yourself in many other aspects of your life, you're going to get that message loud and clear and it's going to be, um, it's going to be an insult to your sense of self, this idea that your ornamental value is highly uh, important in this in society. 
I think the second source, and often, you know, sadly, many of us are combating both of these forces, is that if you've grown up in a home and an environment in which you felt that you were not okay, that you were being rejected, judged, pressured into a one-down position in your relationships with your family or siblings, with your parents or siblings, you know, that you basically learn to internalize a kind of self-hatred, self-rejection. And it can easily get translated into and expressed through the body and in the body. Hmm. Either through sometimes self-sabotaging behaviors that can be a form of kind of self-hatred and that it gets expressed in the aesthetic of the body. But also people that can be in like, a, they would have a normal BMI, Bosmatian, sorry, body okay. mass index. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that they would be considered completely healthy, would look at themselves and see themselves as fat and unattractive or that they might have a perfectly normal nose but think that their nose is insufficient and, or, or wrong in some way and want to get uh, plastic surgery or something. So that, that basically the self-contempt gets expressed in a kind of distortion of how they actually see their body and um, how and, and the discrepancy between how they see their own body and how somebody else would see their body, right? So hmm. I don't know if that's very clear, but I'm basically, so basically what happens is that the body becomes a way in which they express the self-contempt that they learned. So is this even within a family that is not hyper-focused on bodies? Because um, I'm imagining it's definitely the case for mm-hmm. those families, but this mm-hmm. can even happen for those who yeah. aren't necessarily. Yes. Yes, I would say that it can. Now, I think it, it can be particularly pronounced if you come out of a family that's perfectionistic and very image-focused. You know, these can be the kids that are going to be more likely to have uh, eating disorders or more likely to have uh, an obsession obsession with the way with the aesthetic of the body but yeah it can get expressed in that form because the messages are everywhere in the culture and so it it's just very easy for mm-hmm. us to associate our sense of self with our body right okay. um it's just really easy to do it i i you know yeah. i i grew up in a very scrawny i mean i I didn't hit puberty until it was really late. And so I just was sort of in a scrawny body. I was, didn't look like my peers in middle school. I had thick Coke bottle glasses because I had, you know, like a plus eight prescription. Oh, yeah. And I had, I had very thick hair and Farrah Fawcett was the in look. And so I got oh. a perm. And <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Everybody looks awkward in seventh grade, but I looked really awkward. You know, I... I would say I had a pretty accepting family when I I don't, I never felt negative. I was never given any negative messages, you know, by my parents around any of that. But I knew in the culture how at odds I was with Mm. what the ideal was. And so it was wreaking havoc on my sense of self because it was so counter to what I knew was being, um, was idealized or valued when I saw peers getting a lot more attention and acknowledgement than I did. Yeah. Well, it's so easy to misplace our identity of self on our bodies because like you're saying, our culture does that, our societies do that, even our families do that. It's almost like that, that children's book where people are putting dots and stars on other 
you know, puppets in the right. village and it's Yes, exactly. Okay, so this That's is right. like a common flaw we all have and like you said it's so easy to fall into, which is kind of comforting because it's yeah. not necessarily our fault um if we That's subscribe right. to these ideas. Oh, definitely. Yes. You know, so I heard right. you I've heard you say in in um some of your courses and workshops, you've talked about how the body knows. That really uh, is something I've never forgotten how you said that. The body mm. knows how you feel mm. about it. Um, you know what? You can explain this way better than me. So how mm. would you explain that whole idea that yeah. body knows? Well, I think, you know, a lot of times we've talked about the sort of mind-body split and the idea. That, I mean, we've kind of culturally thought that way, that you've got sort of your brain and your mind and then your body's like sort of cut off from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think the more that we do research on this and social science theory develops and so on, the more recognition <clears throat> and acknowledgement there is <clears throat> of how much the body and mind are a, a single organism, meaning it's all connected. Mm. Um, I think the body knows that phrase I first heard, I think, was uh, when I was in a workshop with Bessel van der Kock, who's done a lot of work on trauma and the impact of the body and and PTSD um, yeah. on the functioning of adult patients and so on. And, you know, basically that I think the title of one of his recent books is The Body Keeps the Score. And so it's just this idea that, you know, the body is knows how we're in relationship to it. It can feel the rejection. You know, mm. one of the most striking cases for me was and this is very true in my work with people around sexuality it's like if you have the meanings in your mind that say sex is not okay or it's not okay for me or pleasure is not okay for me or my body is disgusting and I reject it like it's impossible almost impossible to have any meaningful sexual development in that meaning frame because Mm. the body knows it's sort of not acceptable to you it's not okay and so what would be kind of normal sexual development is not going to happen. And, but when I see people sort of start to get the meanings aligned inside of themselves and they start coming to accept themselves and feeling the legitimacy of their own sexuality and making room for this in themselves, well, then sexual development is relatively easy because the body's now working in concert with your mind. You're not in this contradiction. For for example, I was working with a client who got married and wasn't able to have uh, first intercourse for quite a long time. And she'd come out of a family in which the mother had been extraordinarily shaming of the daughter and her sexuality. Not because the daughter was doing anything inappropriate, just because the mother didn't want the daughter, in my yeah. opinion, to grow into being an adult. Yeah, she and out of so, fear-based, right? She was just trying to... Yeah, mm-hmm. out of fear and perhaps wanting her daughter to not surpass her or thrive, right? Oh. Which is a, a darker view of, of a mother, but I think one that fits for but some deeper. people's mother. yes. Yeah, and so I think that she shamed her daughter a lot around it. And so the, the daughter grew up, got married to a nice guy and wanted to really deal with her sexuality and started working with me and... and in concert with working with me, she was going to a pelvic floor physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And because she wasn't, she had vaginismus, so her, her vaginal muscles were so excessively tight that she couldn't achieve intercourse. And so the physical therapist was helping those vaginal 
muscles relax. You know, she was working with my client to relax those muscles. And my client was succeeding at it. And, you know, one day after some, you know, progress, when her, when she was able to release those muscles to be at a normal level of tension, like what would be a normal level of vaginal tension, into her mind, into my client's mind came the word slut. As she would relax the muscles to a normal level, the word slut would come into her mind. And, you know, and it was just, it's really was striking to me as she was telling me about it, like that this is like her, her body is trying to live within the meanings that her mother gave her and that she internalized, which was basically saying, if you're going to be okay with mom, you can't have sex. You can't enjoy sex. You can't be a whole woman. And so it wasn't until she started rejecting that message and really working with herself and her own body that she was able to move into a different meaning frame and start having different sexual experiences, different, better sexual experiences. Yes. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have have you had um, people who, you know, perhaps they they were virgins getting married and so they did they probably experience some trauma maybe their first mm-hmm. um as they're trying yes. to learn the sexuality and i don't know yes. if i'd go as far as saying ptsd but a form of their body mm-hmm. rejecting yes. this growing relationship um so maybe oh, they didn't definitely. even have like this bad body image going into it but their body learned this reaction yes. oh definitely I mean, I mean, there there were latent meanings often for people that they weren't really okay. aware of until they moved into a sexual relationship. But yes, I, I think there's no question that when people, it, you know, I think a lot of people, particularly in the population that I work with, often grow up with an idea that sexuality belongs to men, not to themselves. When they get married, it's a way of sort of giving themselves to the man, but they don't have any real relationship to their own sexuality well I should say they have no positive relationship and there's been a lot of rejection and suppression and so Mm. what often then happens is that then they think okay well it's the wedding night I should be sexual because that's what a good wife would do Uh, but their body has no frame for engaging in a kind of equal open-hearted sexual experience it's one where you just sort of let the husband into the wife's body and she's not prepared for it, meaning it's painful, Mm. right? So because psychologically her body's not working with her to create a sexual response in which intercourse would be a good idea. And so 
she would might accommodate him, be the quote unquote good wife, but have physical pain. And then the second time she's anticipating pain, she still doesn't have a meaning frame that's going to allow her body to respond. And it becomes, you know, one negative, uh, aversive, traumatic hmm. experience after another. Right. It, mm. Meaning that it just that for some people, it just sort of reinforces this frame yeah. that this is not, this is not me. Sexuality is not me. Okay. <laughs> but there were meaning frames already alive that made the first experience likely. And then the negativity of that experience then reinforced it and mm. made it more more likely to stay in place. I bring that up. Um, to tie that into what you've talked about us being meaning makers and to connect, you know, how to repair this relationship. The fix is not about your body. You know, it's not about the answer is not love your body. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. If that's not going to fix this, it's Mm -hmm. the meaning. Um, Yeah. So let's move into how can we correct this meaning that we have and yes it will be tied into the meaning we have with our bodies but your Mm -hmm. workshops I mean we spend I mean very little time actually talking about the mechanics of sex it's way more about the relationship we have with ourselves Mm -hmm. yeah the meaning yes so how can we move into a more positive meaning and how that how is that connected to our meaning with our bodies too yeah well so I mean in terms of, there's a lot I could say about the meanings that are happening in sex. And yes. I can certainly talk about some of that if you want to. But if I stay somewhat focused on the meaning in relationship to your body, yeah. you know, you're not going to want to share your body. If you think about what sex is at its best, in my opinion, it's about sharing yourself with another person. It's about, you know, I want to share myself with you through my sexuality. I want to know and be known. Right. I want to know you and be known by you in this really intimate way through really sharing my body with you, sharing my sexuality with you. Well, you're in no way prepared to do that if you think that you are there to prove yourself through your aesthetic perfection. Okay. That's a performance focus, not an intimacy focus. That's a validation seeking focus, not about really sharing and loving and um, opening your heart up. Okay. So I think if you really are going to be somebody who is capable of or interested in intimacy on some level, you have to be accepting of your body as it is. Mm. Right. And I think if you're going to be capable of doing that, you really have to forge a kind of meaningful self-acceptance and self-compassion. I think that requires rejecting the um, ornamental focus of what society says constitutes female desirability. I think it means rejecting the rigidity of that, that aesthetic because there's nothing wrong with beauty and there's nothing wrong with physical beauty. But the the standard that we have out there is so rigid and so limited. It's like of all the aesthetic variety that there is in food, like if you go throughout the world, there are so many different dishes and tastes and amazing things and experiencing the the beauty of that 
that aesthetic of food, right? Mm-hmm. We we t- we accept variety all the time in that way, or even of art or of fashion. But like somehow, when it comes to the body, it's like stick skinny, uh, unrealistic physical bodies, and there's so much variation in the human form, like very healthy variation and so much beauty in it. And because we're so brainwashed into this one view, I think it becomes, um, it blinds us to the physical beauty that's just in the human form in all of its variation. And so, um, so again, I think it's rejecting that your value is in your ornamental value. I think you have to let that idea go. And I can say a little bit more about that. And I think then, even though you can still value the ornamental, I mean, you can you can have some valuing of it, I guess I should say, in, in moderation, some valuing of it, but being better able to really see, see the beauty that's in all of us, to see the beauty that's even in the physical form in all of its variety, to see the beauty that's in the soul of the person that you're with, right? I mean, okay. um, you know, even just as a person myself who's getting older and partnered with someone who's getting older, you know, there's still so much beauty there in my opinion, but it's much more linked to character as you get older, (laughs) thankfully, (laughs) but it really is, but it's real. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, this person that I've shared so much of my life with who knows me so well, this is the body that I love and desire because it's my friend. This is the body of my friend, right? And so there's a beauty in it because of the meaning. But, you know, uh, neither one of us would get into any magazines. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so, so it's like I, it's sort of my long way of answering, you know, broadening our view of beauty and broadening our view of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and you've also because, talked about, you know, broadening your view of what sex is really about. It's not just about yes. this these passionate bodies it's about the connection with your with your spouse yes exactly it really and your connection with yourself in it Mm. it's 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 when people are really performance focused or trying to prove themselves and men certainly do this too you know men have their own set of demands and expectations of how they prove that they're real men Mm-hmm. And, you know, can't ever be vulnerable and have to always know what they're doing sexually and, mm-hmm. and you know, always must be strong, can't have self-doubt. You know, we have similar kinds of cruelties that we do to one another and in which sex isn't about intimacy at all. For many, many couples, it's sort of shocking sometimes to see the way that people can have sex and feel so lonely in the end, mm-hmm. you know, and feel so unable to really really just be at peace with their spouse and uh, after even being sharing so much of their lives together to still feel so much alone. I want to talk more about that peace then that um, I guess connected to our bodies is so for someone who has been listening, like, okay, I want to do this work. I want to dive in it, you know, as Within certain therapies, they do like exposure therapy. So if you've had a problem with anorexia, maybe you have exposure therapy with like working with food, learning to cook, like need bread, mm-hmm. stuff like that, mm-hmm. that can be really healing mm-hmm. for that relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the sort of exposure therapy people can engage in or some kind of work they mm-hmm. can do to start moving towards creating a new mm-hmm. meaning, you know, with this, yeah. with this body they have? 
Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I do uh, suggest to people they do is that they spend some time every day, you know, that as they're undressing and, you know, to undress to the level that they can tolerate and uh, in front of a mirror and to focus on some aspect of their body that they really value, really appreciate and are grateful for because we are so accustomed to, you know, I remember in a college reading some stupid magazine article about supermodels and what they disliked about their bodies. Oh, <laughs> and it's, it's just like so, you're like, oh my gosh. And somehow reading that article was like a breaking point for me. Like, I'm like, this is so ridiculous. Like, yeah. it, you know, kind of the, what the idea is that nobody gets to be happy with their bodies, which I think is a way that we oppress women. Oh. We spend all of our energy fixated on the ridiculous and it's a way yeah. of making it so we don't actually forge selves and forge our capacities and forge our gifts. But it's also a way of like, you know, it's like a way of reducing our power and making us less threatening. And I think it's like oh this psychological stifling that we do to women. And it's very easy to not see it and its impact and to not do it to one another. Whoa. Right. So yeah, you just blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, I think so. So just reversing this, the, you know, you, it's just in the air you breathe, this self-rejection, mm. looking for what's wrong with yourself. Everything could look great and you're still focused on the one thing you don't like, right? And instead to re- practice reversing that and to look for one thing you appreciate and it will get easier the more you do it. And the next day to focus and look for something else. And it really does start to shift the way you see yourself. I mean, it really does shift your experience because what you're saying to yourself is in fact true. It's like you're drawing attention to the many beautiful, valuable, lovely aspects of yourself that you just take as a given and don't focus on. I think in a similar form, something else you can do. I mean, I recently had the privilege of spending a week with my sisters and sisters-in-law in Hawaii. Oh, fun. And somebody came, so, yeah, and someone came up with a great idea at the beginning that any, no one was allowed to say anything negative about their body or they owed, oh, they owed $20, $20, right? <laughs> they owed 20 bucks. Yes. <laughs> and it was great. It's just like we're just taking that whole thing off the table. We're just going to enjoy each other. I've heard about in school settings or family settings where people say, you know, you just we don't we don't make negative or positive comments about the aesthetic of the body. It's just like let's just not let's do that. Stop okay, making like, a conversation. Both yeah, ways. let's just focus on things that matter so much more than that. Mm-hmm. So I think all of those things are just helpful ways of starting to change some of those patterns. I also think something that's really important and it's a little bit in what I was just saying about the way that we've used this rigid aesthetic to oppress um, oppress women's strength. I think in a similar form, it's looking at, you know, many of us have been taught to be in a one down position. It's almost like where we believe we ought to be. Yeah. It's almost a way of feeling like we're good if we're in a one down position or at least we're not threatening And I think the more, if you're in therapy with someone or you're working through that, the more you can really see the way that you have learned to self-suppress and to reject that you're 
reject that you are participating in that with yourself. Like how to say it. You know, a lot of times people have learned it and then they perpetuate it within their own psyches and in their own relationship to themselves. If you can see that you're doing it and you reject doing it, like, you know, the client I was talking about who was going to the physical therapist, Mm -hmm. she really could see this downward pressure that had been um, demanded of her, basically. And she saw and then she rejected it. And it was out of that rejection that she said, I want to be whole. I want to be Mm -hmm. in a positive relationship with my body, with my sexuality, with my spouse, with myself, because I reject the way that I was pressured in my family. Um, And so it was out of her desire to thrive that she really had the energy to start thinking differently about herself, to start thinking differently about her body, to start thinking differently about her sexuality. And it had, you know, it was out of her own desire to really thrive. Mm. But sometimes we're so used to the downward pressure, we almost don't see it. We just think, we just think I really am inferior. You know, it's just really what's true about me. And it's not. It's just what mm-hmm. your mind knows. Yeah. So like like we've mentioned, it's it's about far more than the, the body. And I've loved learning this from you. You know, you've talked about being at home in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to know what your thoughts are on this idea that we don't have to have even the perfect positive body image to mm-hmm. be at home. And we don't have mm-hmm. to accept the full package to still be appreciative mm-hmm. and grateful of it and what that could look like. Yeah, I think that's true. I think yeah, I think it's just about offering a kind of compassion to yourself and just caring about yourself in the face of what you maybe don't like or you wish were different. And still just holding on to your dignity, I think that's just something you can do, even if you feel, you know, that you can't accept all of yourself or you can't accept every aspect of your body. Or as you age, you know, you're going to feel things like, I wish that weren't sagging so much. I wish (laughs) this were different. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I can still offer a kind of compassion and acceptance and grace to myself. That's, I think, something we can really practice doing practice offering and kind of holding on to I can really we really can get better at holding our value uh, in whatever body we're in holding our dignity in whatever body we're in Um, holding a sense of that I'm really a soul here that I matter and I'm not going to participate in reducing myself to whatever aesthetic you can make a decision not to um value yourself based on some aesthetic standard outside of you right Hmm. so people outside of you may judge you okay people will judge you that's just a reality of life is that you're going to get judged unfairly by people outside of you but where our power is and where our strength is is whether or not we're going to accept or uh, be beholden to those judgments or if we're going to hold on to what we know is true about ourselves and hold our dignity in the face of whatever ways that we don't fit some external measurement. Okay. I think what you just said connects to the last question I wanted uh, you to talk about is, you know, some people who perhaps their bodies aren't healthy due to some negligence or this poor sense of self they might have. 
And I was curious, how can they still show up for themselves and their spouse with body positivity while also still owning that they need to make some changes for their their health? Mm -hmm. Well, because I think those are one and the same, not not contradictions. Mm -hmm. So that is to say, I think that if you really, you know, again, I would put it in the frame of self-compassion. You know, Mm -hmm. if you are going to really be... a lot of times we think we have to hate ourselves to get ourselves to change, right? Yeah. I have to feel contempt for my body in order for me to tolerate going on a diet. And for many of us, the way that we do diets, they are an act of contempt. Mm, okay. It's like a war. The way, They're waging yeah, absolutely, war. Absolutely waging war. And it's a kind of self-hatred through starvation or whatever that one is doing. Mm. So, but I see it if it's in a frame of self-compassion that you're thinking, I, I am going to care for this body that I have not cared for well up till now. Whether you're thin by conventional standards or large by conventional standards, that you can be very rejecting of your body. So if I'm going to be more compassionate, how do I start caring for this body that I've been given, mm-hmm. this blessing in my life of this body that allows me to do so much, that allows me to express myself in the world, allows me to love and to touch and to be touched. It allows me to create things. It allows me to, you know, uh, move and experience the world. How can I be kinder to this extension of myself and to be more valuing of it, love it, be grateful for it, and by extension, care for it? That the things that I eat, that the, that thinking of movement and exercise is a form of self-care and I know it's a little cliche to say that, but I really literally mean it as a way of caring for this body that is a blessing in my life, like really loving it, valuing it through exercise, loving and valuing it through the way I eat, right? So thinking more in terms of blessing my life through exercise and food, that this is a way of caring for this body. Because then you're probably going to gravitate towards things that really are good for your body, uh, right? That are going to basically give it the nutritional value value that it needs, but also that would be pleasurable and aesthetically pleasing as well, right? In moderation, because if it's really going to bless you, it would be in moderation because any extreme either form is a form of self-contempt. Most definitely. And one that we can shame so well. I think we shame people who overeat a lot more than we do people who undereat. But it's really the same root there. It's the same root. Absolutely. Yes, that's right. Jennifer, this was another amazing interview. I wish we could talk for another hour. For those who have been listening to this and they want to take part in the courses and the and the in-person workshops and retreats that you offer, where can they find you and what do you have coming up? Um, okay, great. I, so you can find out, if you go onto my website, which is finlayson-fife.com, there is, you'll see um, online courses that I teach um, and then also a events workshops tab and um, so you can see things that are live that are under that tab I have a women's workshop it's in particular for LDS women that is three days long in Eden Utah September 13th or sorry 12th through the 15th coming up and this will just be an amazing wonderful 
workshop yeah. or, or a retreat. It's um, in the Mount, in the Wasatch Mountains. It's three wonderful meals a day. It's, you know, the accommodations are included. There's exercise opportunities and yoga, but mm. mostly it's just this immersion, this immersion in a different way of thinking about your relationship to yourself, to your body, to your desires, to your sexuality. Um, it's not a workshop about how to be less defective sexually. Yeah. It's a workshop. <laughs> it's a workshop about how to really be in much deeper peace with yourself and your body um, and to be freer to express your unique self in the world. So that workshop's coming up in September. And then I'm also doing a couples retreat at the end of October in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, in which I'm doing a relationship um um, workshop for two days and then backed up against a sexuality workshop for for another three days and so wow. people can come for, for part or all of that and that's almost sold out but there are still a few spots left oh my goodness so, yeah if I was not nursing I would at least be to one of those and I just want to say to listeners I've been to I mean I've taken a lot of your courses but I've also been to two of your in-person workshops and they honestly truly have completely changed my life. And I'm not saying that lightly. I'm just yeah. so grateful to you and how much you offer to all of us. You've, you've changed so many women's lives and men too. You are an amazing, amazing woman. Thank you very much for being on the show again for us. I so appreciate it. Thank you, Monica. Another golden chat with Dr. Finlayson Fife. I am simply amazed by her sheer vocabulary alone. <laughs> I just don't know how she pulls these words out, but she's able to do it in a way that it all makes sense and it changes my life every stinking time. If you want to connect more with Jennifer and her resources, including those live workshops, which I'm so jealous I can't attend right now because of my nursing baby, I have linked them all for you in my show notes, which you can find on my website aboutprogress.com. And I've also linked to her website and Instagram on all of that. As I told you at the beginning of the episode, next week's topic is a continuation of this week's and I really don't want you to miss it. I was so excited when Dr. Lindsay Kite of Beauty Redefined agreed to be on the show. If you haven't already followed her and her twin sister on Beauty Redefined on Instagram, you need to get on it. They have taught me so much about how we can redefine what beauty is and the importance it takes in our lives please subscribe to my podcast on your podcast app so you don't miss that episode. And as always, if you liked this episode, please share it like crazy. This is not about me, clearly, because I don't do most of the talking on this show. This is about my guests and what they have to teach us. And these were hard. Like I've said, they've changed my life. I want them to change others too. So take a screenshot, text it to a friend, or if you share it on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, make sure you tag me at about progress so I can connect with you and get to know you better there as well. And thank you for sharing it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming back and I will see you next Wednesday. And until then, take care of yourself. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.